Welcome to Ensuring Success, the podcast that takes you on a journey to unlock the keys of achieving not just fleeting victories, but sustainable and fulfilling success. This is Ensuring Success. Welcome back to another episode of Ensuring Success. Today, we are diving into a topic that continues to be top of mind here at Halchins Insurance Group, and that is getting the right people in the right seats. Joining us in this conversation is Matt White, an executive advisor of a psychometrics analytics program. HIG was introduced to this program a little over a year ago, and since then it has become an integral part of our organization in terms of hiring, leadership development, and overall communication. Matt has spent the last seven years working with CEOs and entrepreneurs to help them achieve their goals faster with the program. Matt, thank you for joining me and welcome to the show. Thank you for the invite. Excited to be here. Thank you. So before we jump into this whole world of psychometrics, and it is a world, I choose choose Mm -hmm. that word very carefully, we want to go ahead and do our staple question here on ensuring success, and that is how do you define success and how do you ensure that you achieve it and maintain it? Personally. Yes. You know, I thought about this a little bit last night, and Henry Cloud wrote a book, I think it was called Integrity. And he said, you can tell a lot about a boat by studying its wake. Mm -hmm. And he said, you can tell a lot about a, I'm obviously paraphrasing this. It's been a while since I read it, but he said, you can tell a lot about a person by studying their wake. And Mm -hmm. what are the two wakes of a life? He said, it's task and relationship. And why I think why that came to mind is prior to being, prior to turning 40, Mm -hmm. I would have told you that success had a lot to do with how much I accomplished. But after that and seeing, you know, when I look at the wake of my life and I see all I accomplished, the tasks, and then the relationships Mm -hmm. that I ran over, it made me question success. And so I would say post 40 success for me is how am I doing around the people that I interact with the most? How am I treating people like, you know, being a dad, mm-hmm. being a husband, the people that you interact with day in and day out. Because honestly, when I think about success out in the business world, it's like material success feels pretty easy for me because it's where I gravitate towards. So now when I right. think about really success, I'm like, if it wasn't super hard, are you really successful? Well, what's super hard for me is being kind and patient and tender and mm-hmm. present and listening to people if I don't feel like they are part of me going after my goals. Sure. So, yeah. So success for me is, um, and I also think it's, you know, I've been on a journey personally over the past five years of learning how to feel my feelings understand what's going on in my own heart, why I do things, and then live authentically from my heart, being honest. And so that's a, you know, part of the question was, how do you ensure that you're going to be successful in that? For me, just like this morning and tomorrow morning, I have a couple of groups of men that I meet with Mm -hmm. that I show up every week and they show up every week and we are radically honest about things we wrestle with and feelings and fears and doubts and things like that. And so and I think being honest and transparent there has helped me not medicate right? and feel feelings and give it to God and move on and keep living. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting. We've 
this is our fourth episode and it seems like for each person that we've asked that question to some level of accountability through groups or mentorship is a part of that success for every person so far. Mm. So it plays a big role across the board. I had a mentor, have a mentor, one of my best friends in Dallas. And he, he said one time, he said, money will never love you back. So true. And, you know, thank God I'm the most successful financially I've ever been. And I feel like it means less than it ever has. Right. And, and it's so true. It's that it doesn't really matter. I mean, sure, it matters some, yeah. right? Money gives you options and things like that. Right. But I, I don't think about it a lot, but I'm like, you know, in another 40 years, my circle of people that are going to want to be around me is probably going to be pretty small. Mm-hmm. And I, I want it to be rich. Yeah. And so I'm thinking more about success in terms of like, what I'm giving in other relationships and the quality of my relationships. Yeah. And you said 40 was a big shift for you in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because the decade of the thirties <laughs> is where different. I got some road rash. Yeah. That happens. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. That's awesome. Okay. So let's begin with your introduction to the psychometrics program that you are an executive advisor mm-hmm. for. And how you came to learn about it and get involved with it. Yeah. So early 30s, I was a partner in a... Early 30s? Yeah. Partner in a fitness franchise. Mm -hmm. And we came out of the gate, grew really quickly, and franchised across the country. And it was really great. Then we went to some growing pains of unit economics weren't like they needed to be for us to continue to grow at that pace. And we kind of went on a hunt to figure out like how do we identify right franchise franchisees to partner mm-hmm. with the right people to run our gyms, managers, coaches, things like that. And there was an advisor of this program that also wanted to buy some franchises of ours. Okay. So we met him and he turned us on to these analytics when he started picking out who were who was performing who was not performing and he had never met these people, didn't know what they looked like. And it kind of felt like he was cheating. And (laughs) I remember when he, (laughs) I'm very thankful for him, uh, but I was sitting at the conference table with my two other partners and he looked at me and said, Matt, how long have you been over the franchising? I said about three or four years. Didn't crack a smile. He just looked at me and he said, you hate your life, don't you? And (laughs) and I was, I was stumped because I, I, wasn't that honest with my partners about, I just really hated what I was doing. Mm -hmm. And hate's a strong word. I I didn't feel utilized. That's the best word. And, and this guy knew it and he had never met me before, never seen me. And so long story short, he sold us this program. We became clients. And so I began, I learned, I went through the workshop to learn how to use these analytics and what they meant and then how to apply that to business and how to, ensure you've got right people in the right seats and able to scale and hit top and bottom line goals and scalability and ultimately make more money and have more time, which is what most people are after. Right. And so at what point did you start working with the program and being an instructor of it? It was kind of funny. So I went through as a client that two-day workshop Mm -hmm. and I walked out and I called the founder (laughs) and I said, hey, my name name is Matt White and I'm going to be your next advisor. What do I need to do? And so I went through the training 
and became a licensee, but I was still full-time with the other business. And then a month later, moved to Atlanta to kind of take over market and build a market there. And because I really, all of my eggs were still in the basket of the fitness mm-hmm. franchise and some of my best friends I was working with, okay. and I thought maybe I need a change of scenery. So I moved to Atlanta and took on some more responsibility, like with cor- corporate locations instead of just the franchise. But it didn't, it didn't really change the fact mm-hmm. that I was still doing the same thing and I wasn't in my wheelhouse and the data from that program showed it. I was mm-hmm. my, who I was was completely different than what I was doing every day at work. Right. And we can only do that so long. And so about a year after we got introduced to the program, I exited the fitness company and started full time okay. as an executive advisor and started to build the, build my business. Awesome. That's crazy that it had that impact on you. And, you know, you could have never come across of it. Oh, man. Like, I read at some point that we spend 70,000 hours of our lives at work. And, and you know, and before before I was in fitness, I was in college ministry. Really? So I was in college ministry until I was 31. Okay. And so I've always had a passion for people and mission and things like that. But when I saw this, I, I remember thinking even in my time in ministry, the first three years were awesome. I was pioneering. I was exploring. I was, it was independent. I was, you know, everything was new. And then when it went into managing things, I just yeah. lost interest. But yet I stayed on for another four years of my life because I, yeah. I kind of felt guilty to leave where now I'm like, man, I, I would... And I actually have that ministry as they were my second client. Oh, that's because awesome. I just think even in ministry, like if we are, if we really are caring about people, so much of that has to be of like helping our people or me mm-hmm. see what's my unique ability, what comes effortless to me, what right. am I passionate about. Now you know, I mean, our program can't measure everything about a human, but we can measure those innate abilities and strengths and that you will see play out during the day. And it's like, wow, if, if this is what I'm really gifted for, why not find avenues in my professional career where I get to use those mm-hmm. 80% of the time instead of 20% of the time? Right. I mean, so I mean, it's why bulk of the workforce in America is disengaged. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I wrote down, um, because I've sat through one of your workshops that you've done with HIG, and I think that the percentage you gave us was 60%. Yeah, I disengaged. mean, it cha- it changes a little right. bit, you know. But still. You're not, you're over, but that's that's 60, you know, it's ballpark. 60% right. is disengaged. That's mm-hmm. not including the actively disengaged. Right, right. So, you yeah. look at somewhere between 20 and 30%, it's safe to say that our people are actively engaged. Right. That's a tragedy. It is. And that's, you know, a lot of what we'll talk about today and the reason that HIG has, you know, partnered with you to use this program. Obviously, it was very, this program was very powerful for you that it changed the trajectory of your career and your life. I assume that effect is why you have the passion and the drive you do to teach others and share this with them. But why is it so important for, you know, corporations or business owners to do this before I came across this program, I was watching a show called the prophet 
mm-hmm. Marcos Lemonis, I think, and he said, you know, I believe in three things, people, process, and product, but people are the most important. Well, I mean, if you talk, every business owner, you talk, not, maybe not every, most business owners I talk to and hear about, they would say, our people are my, our number one priority. Mm-hmm. People are most important. Well, I do believe that's true. I do, do believe that that's very difficult to actually put some teeth behind and say, if they are our most important resource, then what are we doing to develop, cultivate, and nourish and protect and grow that most important resource? For me, mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm, we could say ultra competitive. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't understand the point of playing a game just to play a game. Right. That's fair. All right. Like, I'm not a fan of backyard, like family reunion volleyball, you know, where everybody just comes together and hits the ball around and plays. And it's like, Mm -hmm. I have no interest in that. Well, in business, the name of the game is win. And that can take many different forms, right? Whether you're a nonprofit, whether you're for profit, whatever. I believe our winning hinges on the team, right? He who has the best people in the right seats Mm -hmm. wins. And so, yeah, God, I mean, we just see this with the college football playoff on Monday, mm-hmm. you know? Yep. Like, why is it so important to have the right people in the right seats? Like, why is it so important to have running backs and running back roles and linemen and linemen roles and quarterbacks? We can see that really easily in sports. It's more difficult to uh, relate it in business. Right. But it's like anybody that knows anything about football, if if you had a quarterback that came and said, Coach, I can block and like put me on the put me on the line. I want to block this nose guard. Yeah. Like maybe he could, but nine times out of ten he loses statistically mm-hmm. because he doesn't have the DNA right. to play. Like, but yet we do that all the time in business. We put people in roles where they're not designed for it or it's not optimal for them to be in those roles, and then they get their head pounded in and the boss gets frustrated and the employee feels like I can't do my job. And Mm -hmm. so that's why it's important is because if you have the people in the wrong seat, you don't win the game. Yeah. And do you, in your experience, have you seen the effect that has on like bottom line, just to put it numerically, do you see that effect? Oh yes. Well, I mean, I see it bottom and top line because that's Mm -hmm. where I spend a lot of my time initially with the CEO is talking about that or, you know, because lots of ways to measure performance and success in business, but some of the easy ones are top line revenue and Mm -hmm. bottom line profitability or EBITDA. And, you know, some of that I've, I've got specific numbers from my client and from my clients and obviously I'm not mentioning their names, but you know, one of my client, when I came on with them, they were around eight to 10 million. And in four years, they've grown to 80 and they're more profitable. I don't remember the exact number, but mm-hmm. not only have they grown significantly in revenue in four years, but the profitability has increased substantially as well. Right. And, and the crazy thing about it is they're working less. That's amazing. So if I've got the right people in the right seat, I can grow it Right. And not have to be doing so much. Right. I can be leading. So, but yeah, I mean, it's, and you've got, the other thing too is like, what we do is helpful in hiring and things like that. But like, it's not primarily about hiring. In my opinion, mm-hmm. there's so much value 
to get it out of our existing payroll if we understand what they're really good at and what comes effortless to them. Right. Because the more time I spend doing work that where I've got to modify my natural abilities, mm-hmm. the less efficient I am. Right. So we can actually end up doing more with less if we've got people spending 80 to 90% of their time in their unique ability. Right. And so I think that a has huge difference tons to a bottom line if you yeah. don't have to hire as many people and For you're sure. getting more pro- productivity. Mm-hmm. So there are Enneagrams and Zodiac signs and this and Myers-Briggs and a slew of other mm-hmm. personality tests. Mm-hmm. Why is this program different from those? Mm. Yeah. So prior to my involvement, we used a lot of those in my previous business. And I would say that they were reasonably accurate in telling me kind of what's that person like. Mm-hmm. What blew me away with this one is, number one, that this is uh, statistically reliable and scientifically validated. And so the accuracy of the analytics mm-hmm. separates this, in my opinion, and I don't look at it as a personality test because maybe I'm just a little biased, but... Mm-hmm. I think when most people think about personality tests, they think about kumbaya and like, how do we get everybody to like each other? Yeah. And like I said at the beginning, in my opinion, like it's, it's not winning is not about everybody liking each other. And I bet if the team does win, even people with differences would like each other better if they're winning instead of losing. Absolutely. Right. And so when it comes to winning and losing in business, it comes back to people. So then you have to go back and look, okay, well, what instruments and what data, what information are we using that guides or governs or influences our decisions about human capital, right? Because I'm, I do believe it's like you got leading and lagging indicators in business, right? I look at the P&L statement, that's a lagging indicator. Leading indicator, I believe the greatest leading indicator is your human capital. And then so if that's the case, and if people are our primary or our greatest resource, then a business owner, a CEO, a, a manager's got to be able to answer like, well, what am I using that gives me valuable data about the human capital that I do have? Mm-hmm. And that's this is where this program, what I saw was these are the most accurate human analytics that are on the market. So that does a couple of things for me as an advisor. Number one, I trust this. So I can look at this and lean into the CEOs without flinching. Mm-hmm. on the recommendation and the feedback I give them when they ask me questions about people on their team. But secondly, I think what really did this for me and like why I wanted to go do it is because it was one thing to say, okay, this data is accurate. But when w- I was trained in how do I take this data and as a leader begin to use it to change, to know exactly how does that person who's not like me, mm-hmm. how do they want to be communicated with, what motivates them, What are their unique abilities? What am I going to see in these tendencies? How do I lead and manage and motivate to to optimize that talent and get the most? And if there are, if it is a square peg in a round hole, how do I deal with that and and move that square peg to a square square hole in my business? You mentioned communication and you know treating people the way they want to be treated. On the back of the name tents that we had in the workshop, there's like a, I guess there are rules or, you know, guidelines. Mm-hmm. And one of them says, you may not use your dots as a weapon or a crutch. Can you talk through that and what that means? Yeah, I'll give you 
a very personal example. <laughs> okay. So according to our data, I am more impatient than 94% of the world. And that's a trait. <laughs> it's there. Uh-huh. My wife is more patient and laid back than 82%. Okay. That's a good balance. <sighs> right. <laughs> Should be. <laughs> it's an opportunity. Right. <laughs> and it also feels like a thorn mm-hmm. in my flesh. <laughs> Because it more impatient than 94% of the world, things don't ever happen fast enough and people don't move and they don't take action fast enough for me, period. Mm-hmm. Using my, Knowing that, if I just say, well, that's just the way I am and I demand you to meet my expectation and move as fast as me mm-hmm. or I make an excuse for my impatience and how much I cut her off when she's talking, like that's using your trait as a crutch, mm-hmm. you know, or, or even a weapon. Right. I also find this, you know, to be funny, not funny, potentially amusing slash sad, mm-hmm. but I'm a professional in this <laughs> and I know it and I train hundreds of people every year and it is so difficult in my relation, in my close relationships mm-hmm. to actually apply what I know. Right. Because like I have the answers, not that you can just know everything right. about a human being. There's a lot that, you know, from a values and passion standpoint that we don't measure, but right. like I know how she wants to be communicated with. Mm-hmm. I know how much change she wants. I know how change, how she wants change to be introduced to her. Mm-hmm. And I just don't care. Right. And it's not that I don't care. It's that I struggle to remember to use it. And that's the challenge. Right. You know, it's that this is, like I say, I'm a, I'm a fan of 12-step programs, and they say in the 12-step world, program works if you work it. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that's a little more difficult, too, to go home and, you know, utilize all of this after you've been doing it and teaching it and talking about it. Yes. Yeah. I imagine that comes with its own set of challenges. Mm-hmm. Yep. I'm interested to know, when you meet people, do you meet, is that like a click for you where you're immediately like, oh, I bet they're this or they're this profile? I u- yeah, good question. I used to try and guess people. Mm-hmm. But then what I realized is, you know, when you meet somebody, you're not meeting who they are. Mm-hmm. You're seeing their behavior and behavior is right. malleable. You know, like, I mean, I'll take myself, for example. I could be, if I if I needed to go somewhere and meet some CEOs to get some prospects and leads, mm-hmm. Man, I can I can turn on a smile and right. chit chat and have small talk and talk about stuff I don't care about, mm-hmm. and come across as a very socially motivated and engaging person. Right. But like, and that's pretty far from who I am, mm-hmm. you know. And so, yeah, on first imp- first impressions, that's behavior. Right. So I don't I don't really try to guess much anymore, no. especially when like in. None of my clients ever want me to guess. They pay me for yeah. real Accuracy. candid data interpretation. Right. And so yeah. I'm like, yeah, I don't guess anymore. No Just guesswork. take this survey and then I'll tell right. you the truth. Yeah. I'll tell you how to read it. Um, Natalie, can I ask you a question? Yeah. So you've been through the workshop. I have. You've been trained on this. How have, what's, what's your experience been like in using it? Or, and maybe you're going to get to that, but I'm curious how 
what you've seen personally and then mm-hmm. even within HIG on how this introduction to a different way to see people from more of a science analytic standpoint. Yeah. For me, and I'm still very much new to it, but I was actually a part of our very first initial introduction to you with Lydia. (laughs) And at that introduction, I was like, my eyes glazed over, like, what is happening? (laughs) What have we just talked about? Like, it was a very quick, like 30 minute, I think, introduction. And I was like, wow, that's a lot and very accurate. (laughs) But for me, I don't have a team underneath of me necessarily. Mm -hmm. So I kind of more took the approach of looking at my own profile and seeing in my position how I could. And luckily, I'm at a place where it's a very fluid, where I have the ability and people are encouraging me to do this. But where I could take my position and make it match my traits, my Mm. natural traits and abilities. So that's kind of the shift that I've made since going through it and that I'm continuing to make, knowing what I'm good at because my my profile is not one that is naturally that you would think of as like branding and marketing, but I've learned to kind of shift my day-to-day and my operations for myself to match that. And I've experienced a lot more success and like pride in what I'm doing from that. So it's been different for me that I haven't used it to like create a team or, you know, to make one a lot more efficient. But just for me personally, like I've used it inwardly, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So going through has helped you understand like what are my unique abilities and how do I leverage that and put myself in situations or in your case, be able to create craft a job Mm -hmm. so that you get to do more of what you're naturally good at. Right. That's encouraging. Yeah. So thank you for the workshops and for all that you've, you know, brought to us and continue to bring to us. When you're out in different organizations, what are common challenges you see across the board in employee optimization for all of them, regardless of size or geographic location? I think most of the companies that I'm, that I'm working with are really trying to scale. And so when you scale, you need capital mm-hmm. and you need talent. Now, I'm not going to talk about the capital piece because some of them are flush and some of them are trying to raise it, whatever. Mm-hmm. But from the talent standpoint, when you're growing, right, the more of, the more a, fi- a fire burns, the more oxygen and the more fuel it needs. Mm-hmm. And so as companies that are really trying to scale, they need more talent. So there is a war for talent, yep. whether you're a company that's not really worried about scaling or trying to scale. And so I think that that's a commonality that every company is going to, a a commonality and a challenge, Mm -hmm. you know, but like, I mean, go back to football. This is where I would say, and again, I'm, I'm not a CEO running a company. I have my own book of business, but I think about, you know, college football, those coaches, the head coaches still hit the recruiting trail, Mm -hmm. even the very successful ones. And like, because they know that winning a championship for a large part depends on the talent pipeline and the bench Mm -hmm. that they have. Right. 
And I just, uh, I think one of the, the area where I'm would love to challenge some of my clients more is like, do they see themselves as the CEO, as a recruiter? Mm-hmm. I, cause I think that is our challenge. One, the, the talent. And then two, when you get that talent, how do you keep that talent and retain mm-hmm. that talent? Because your talent is constantly being poached. Right. And so how much time and energy and effort are we spending as clients of pouring into the talent to grow, to develop, to learn what they want, to provide that career path? So, yeah, I think across the board, like talent, I hear that a lot. Yeah. It's, it's difficult to find talent. Whenever you're working with your clients and, you know, they come to you with a specific instance where, you know, you were talking about square pegs and round holes what's kind of the process you take them through on on a typical basis Mm -hmm. so i think there's some generalities i'll speak to if it's if it's someone coming to me and saying they have a a problem with an employee and it's a performance issue i don't assume that the employee knows that they are a problem Mm -hmm. Because what I have seen is many leaders will see performance issues in their people and they're not direct enough in the way that they talk to that person, mm-hmm. right? So the first thing I do is I start asking questions about what the outcomes are that you need this person to be responsible for in the role. Like, what are they going to be held accountable to? There are a lot of times that people can't clearly, the boss can't clearly articulate yeah, these mm-hmm. are the five things that they're measured on. You know, Patrick Lencioni wrote a book called Three Signs of a Miserable Job. And one of those signs was immeasurement. Yeah. He said when employees came to work and they weren't sure what exactly they're going to be measured on, that was one sign of a miserable job. Yeah. That happens a lot. Right. When I ask people, like, well, what are the outcomes? And they ramble for five minutes. And they're like, well, I'm not clear. Right. So is your employee clear? Yeah. Now, so I start there. And, and that's just, <clears throat> again, that's why I like sports. Mm-hmm. You know, like you, if, if you know the game of football, you can usually give some pretty concrete statistics on what it means to be a good receiver. Right. You know, catch, or I, I play baseball, like to mean to be a good hitter. If I hit 300 consistently, I would be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Okay. I know home runs, strikeouts, all this other stuff. We... I think one of the challenges or tasks of leadership is being able to clearly define what I need you to do in this role. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it starts there with having a clear expectation of what's the responsibility or the outcome of the job. And then we'll put analytics behind that in terms of how does that person need to behave if they're going to do it really well. And then when we take the analytics of how that person is wired up and we're contrasting that with what we need out of the job, then we can see where there's some potential for discrepancies or, you know, if it is a square peg and a round hole, Mm -hmm. I would say in my experience, there's been much more occurrent, much more occasions where that there's been the quote unquote problem employee. And instead of being moved, we reallocated a little bit of work, like take this 
aspect of their job, reallocate it to somebody else who that's more naturally gifted for, and give this person more of what they're naturally gifted for. Right. And so it's been some work reallocation, not totally change positions. But then there's been, there's been times where, sure. you know, I think one of my very first clients, they were looking for a hunter sales guy. And I told the CEO, I said, hey, have you looked at this guy in marketing? And he said, hey, he's never done a day of sales in his whole life. Mm-hmm. I said, well, he's got the DNA for this. Like he's wired up. It looks exactly like what you need based off, you know, the analytics that you did. Right. And then he called me about probably 18 months later. And he said, I didn't tell you, but I took your advice. I took him out of marketing and put him in sales. And he said, we got the numbers back and he finished within $100,000 of being in the top 10 salespeople in this specific product Mm -hmm. in the country. That's crazy. No sales experience. Or thought about it. Yeah. That kind of makes me wonder, do... Are there like colleges and or universities that use this program to help students? Mm-hmm. Yeah, good question. I don't know, you know, because we're all independent mm-hmm. licensees, so I right. couldn't tell you what who the clients are for mm-hmm. one of my colleagues right. here in town. Um, I do know that this was not designed to be career counseling mm-hmm. because so much of someone's career. Uh, depends on their interests and their passions. And we don't measure that. Right. You know, so, um, yeah, I don't, I can't mm-hmm. speak for universities. Now, I've I've had a client that was a, a college baseball coach that used it. He didn't do it for career counseling. He said, man, I want to know how to motivate and get the most out of my people and how to fire them up and how, to, how do I course correct them and how do I, yeah. you know, smart. challenge them and fire them up because – while some people, because he would say, he's like, man, because we, we were college teammates together. Okay. And he said, you know, he said, the way you and I were, like, mm-hmm. we got motivated when coach ripped us. Yep. And he said, I've realized I've ripped, I've, I've ripped other people like that. And he's like, and I get that opposite effect. Mm-hmm. And that was one reason why he wanted to start using the program and of like, how do you, how do you course correct people? Right. That's interesting. When you were talking about, you know, having that first conversation when there's a problem or a situation and it being more of a conversation of are the expectations clear? How is that frequently whenever you have that conversation and then they, you know, work through that? How often does that solve their issue or their situation that they've brought to you to go back and set those expectations? Clearly? Yeah. Un- unfortunately, I have... I don't have real data to give you right. statistically yeah. it happened 73% of the time because sure. I feel like, well, I'll just use the example yesterday. I was on a call with a client here in town and uh, we were talking about two ladies on the team, um, one new hire, one that's been there for a while. And we were talking about the conflict that mm-hmm. when I asked him, I was like, okay, you guys realize you put this person who is highly visionary and driven under this person who is highly detail oriented and a control freak. Like you intentionally did this, right? And they're like, yeah, well, we forgot. (laughs) And so, so we have to talk through that. And, you know, there's some times where it's like, yeah, like you can give some coaching and some management tips and it can happen. But then there's some times where it's like, you know, if you just put offense, someone that just wants to play offense under somebody that only cares about defense, 
no amount of coaching for the defense person is going to get them to think like an offensive person. Sure. But, and why I brought that up was, you know, the, the two ladies that were on the call were like, man, this is so helpful just to be reminded that like we hire this talent and, and they found the right talent, but it's like the, the challenge is if you take that talent and then you put them under a leader that doesn't know how to properly lead and manage that talent, mm -hmm. then you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot because what's going to happen to your A player when they get mismanaged? Yeah. They become a B player or they leave. Yeah. That's why it's so much about like really learning how do we lead and manage based off this science. Right. I think that's probably starts for a lot of people just getting out of your bubble and recognizing and admitting that everybody is not wired the way that you are wired. Oh my gosh. I remember as a client in the workshop and I sat through, I was like, because you know, I'll ask for like, what are our goals and objectives and very, you know, I, I don't have stats on it, but it doesn't seem like super consistently that clients when they're in the workshop will be like, I want to learn about me. They're usually talking about all the business problems, which is great. That's what it's there for. But I'll always kind of tack that on at the end is that like one of my goals is that you know yourself better because how could I really interact effectively with other people if I don't first understand the lens that I look through to see everybody else? Because the lens I look through mm -hmm. is not clear. Right. It's colored. Mm -hmm. And so is everybody else's. And if I try to treat everybody else like me, which is what this is what I, I mean, I sat back in that workshop and I was like, ah, I'm the common denominator in all of my problems. Yeah. And I want to blame them. And it's really, it's about how I treat them. That's tough. <laughs> yeah. That's why it's, this is very difficult because the data could be really good. But if you, your desire to use it, remember and apply it is going to be the challenge of whether or not it actually creates significant growth and results. So as we kind of start to wrap up a little bit, I mentioned that this psychometric, it's a whole world. Mm -hmm. And it's, I mean, there is a large textbook sitting next mm -hmm. to me mm -hmm. that teaches us how to use it and understand it. But what are some simple steps and maybe from the program or maybe just also from, you know, things that you've experienced over the years as an executive advisor that, companies can do to hire the right people for the right jobs and mm. maybe if even if that's just from your experience because i would say you've got a lot of you know face time with those situations yeah i'd say uh, the previous company i was a partner in and when we used this program i think one of the greatest things about our company was how much time we spent on developing core values and and why I think that is important is the feedback that I've gotten from my clients using this program is, man, this data didn't miss, but where we missed it was on that person's integrity or value alignment with our quote unquote culture of our company, mm -hmm. you know? And so I think like adhering, because the point, the important thing of values, values, I think shape the way we go about doing business. Right. Um, and, and I've just, I've come into a lot of clients that they may have some core values on the wall, but the employees can't tell you what they mean. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's like what gets measured is what gets repeated. 
and re- and what gets rewarded is what gets repeated. Mm-hmm. And so what I, I loved about our previous company and the founder said, we, we're, we're going to do quarterly evaluations. 50% of our employees will be evaluated, or 50% of the evaluation will be on their adherence to the core values wow. and 50% on job performance. And I'm like, that's that's putting your mm-hmm. money where your mouth is or your mouth where your money is or yeah. whatever it is. Yeah. Right? right. So my point there is I think when we, when we go to hire and you also look at this in the landscape of what employees are looking for now, they want to know what the mission and the vision and the values of the company are because they have their own. They want to be aligned with something that they believe in. And so as leaders in a company, can we clearly articulate our values and our mission? And so I think that's important starting with, the values and that's a part of you know collins would say in good to great is i mm-hmm. think his first either chapter or first section is first who then what yeah and so again just i think that backs it up it's like who starts with people but also to get the right people you got to define what the right person is from a value standpoint which our metrics don't measure that right yeah i mean outside of i mean the easy answer is like what what kind of I'm, I'm an analytical guy. So like what kind of analytics is a company using on their human capital? Mm-hmm. If they're not using our program, they hopefully they're using some other kind of psychometric instrument that can give us data on how that person is wired up because the way you're wired up will shape and influence and drive and dictate your behavior. Mm-hmm. And then when we can measure what kind of behavior we need in every seat on the bus, and then we find the people who naturally have the DNA that produces that behavior, it makes it a little bit easier on selecting the right people. Right. Then another thing, like, because I hear this a lot of time, you know, it's so hard to find talent. Mm-hmm. And then and then I'll hear the excuse of, well, it's like no one wants to go work in manufacturing or whatever. And I'd say, true. Well, it's not true. Some people want to work in that, whatever. Yeah. But it's like, Chick-fil-A, no one, I would say no, very few people dream about going to work in fast food, but yet it seems like Chick-fil-A has done an amazing job of attracting talent. Mm-hmm. For sure. And it's not because of the work. Right. No one gets excited about making chicken, I don't know, I don't say no one. Yeah. Most people I know don't get excited about making chicken sandwiches, but mm-hmm. man, they make a good chicken sandwich, but they're attracted to the culture, you know? So I think... You make better hiring decisions when you have more applicants to choose from. Mm-hmm. And so. Yeah. And it, you have that alignment. You know. And I, yeah. And I also think of like, you know, and it can't always be like this, but I got a client here in Nashville and they're a socially responsible, ethically driven company. Mm-hmm. And man, I mean, they just have people coming out of the woodworks applying to work with them. Because they love the mission and they love the values and they love the impact, the social impact. And so not, you know, not every company can be a social impact company or whatever, but it's like every company has a story and how well do we put that up on the walls and talk about it and reward it. And I think the other thing too is like, do we measure how many new hires that our company makes that were referrals from our existing employees. Mm-hmm. I think that could tell you a lot about the health of your culture. Yeah, I said. Yeah, I mean, like, if I go, ha- if I go have a dinner at a great restaurant last night, mm-hmm. if I did, I'd come in here, and if you said, "Hey, how are you doing?" I'd probably come up and be like, "Oh, I just went to a new restaurant last night. Yeah. It's fantastic. You have to try it." 
They never paid me to do that. But if I had a good experience, I'm going to talk about that. Our employees talk about their experience at work. Mm -hmm. What are we doing to ensure that what they talk about is attractive to their people? Yeah. You know, the other thing I would say too, the last thing on the, you know, hiring, we talk about a war for talent and I'd say, okay, if I'm in a war, what kind of weapon am I bringing to fight in a war? BB gun? Oh, maybe I shouldn't use that in human capital and guns. Mm. But my point there is like, I I have a client, I think they became a client last year, their first year. And I mean, they only have about 250 employees. Their first year, they had, I don't I think it was like 17,000 applicants. Jeez. And then I have some clients at 200 employees that have 2,000 mm-hmm. after four years. And the reason is, like, this company was growing quickly, and they're like, this is our future. If we don't have talent, we do not win. And so they went, and they found some really big hunter profiles. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, amazing sales profiles. And put them into recruiting. And what did those people do? They went out and they hunted and they got people. And so the other thing is like if we're having hiring problems, then maybe we need to look at the person responsible for sourcing candidates. Right. Might not be the right fit. Yeah. It's so interesting how it can have an effect on every single role in -hmm. an organization. Because I think, you know, sometimes you just assume... Or I know there's a person that we have that I would have sworn was a certain profile with certain motivators, and he's not, but he's very successful at what he does. And it's just, you know, go back, goes back to what you say where you really don't know until they actually get in and, you know, take the profile or the test mm-hmm. and see what they're actually, what their traits really are and not just what their behaviors are. Mm. Well, Matt, we are very appreciative of the impact you've had at Houchins Insurance Group and that you continue to have. And, you know, we look forward to our continued partnership and all that you do and help us to do and achieve in our goals. So thank you for joining us today. Yeah, thank you. You guys have been so much fun to work with, like so hungry, Mm -hmm. you know, from Andy at the top down to how... I mean, I don't know what level of trained in the organization yet, but it's like yeah. everybody comes into the workshops hungry, asking great questions, you know, so it speaks a lot to your culture. Awesome. So I'm thankful to be a part. Yeah. Excited to work with you guys. Well, thank you so much.